Wonderful to have you here today. A few Penrith Church people here as well. Welcome. Great to see you. Yeah. <laughs> Terrific. Awesome. Well, welcome to church. What a great place to be on a Sunday morning. Don't you reckon? It's, yeah. Wonderful. Um, oh, thank you. Thanks, darling. That's awesome. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, Tamar. That's beautiful. You can uh, finish up there. That would be awesome. Um, ben, where are you? Ben Prevo. Yeah, yeah. Come on up here. Ben has just been to Pan-Asia with my husband and Minset and Utdom. I don't know whether if you follow them on social media, you'll probably be aware of that. Uh, Pan-Asia, of course, is the uh, the conference where uh, ACCI, which is our missions arm of our movement, uh, bring all the missionaries together and they can celebrate what's been done, share what's been done, get encouraged, inspired, just a bit of fellowship with one another, especially after the last two years. It's been a bit horrendous. Uh, so, um, Ben, can you just share a highlight of the week, um, you know, I, I have no. I know I've, I've put him on the spot. I gave him no notice. Just a hi- highlight or two. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> a highlight or two. So, um, okay, the first highlight has absolutely nothing to do with the conference, <laughs> but it has to do with our team in Cambodia. So Uton was with us, and I, th- so it's kind of a, a conference thing that actually really highlighted for him was that we're sitting there in a service, and he gets a message come up from Setla, who you met when I showed the picture, when I, Peter and I shared. And um, Setla and some of the team that were still in Cambodia headed off into another village where they're doing another church plant, which will make number four for Cambodia. And, and Uttam's sitting there and he goes, I don't need to go back. <laughs> which was huge for him because he often thinks that, he's, that he wears the weight of the responsibility of it all. And to now know that the team is able to just head off and do that stuff without him there. Uh, That's second one, which is actually conference, was there's just a, I love that there was a renewed heart for the generations being shared through the majority stuff, which I haven't, I haven't heard for a long time. There's, there's often a lot of focus on, on what we need to do and, and how we need to do it. But no, this was a, just a real focus on the next generation and, and, and bringing Holy Spirit into that so that they would walk in, walk in truth. So yeah. And you got to be with my husband all week, so that's another highlight, right? <laughs> they had to share a room. I don't know whether that's a highlight, but, you know. <laughs> we, won't, we won't go any further into that. <laughs> no, it's great. Of course, um, Rick has headed over to Cambodia, so he's spending the week with Utdom and, and Minset, so uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing the stories. Is this right that when Settler went out, they had seven salvations? Oh, without Utom. I <laughs> know. Oh, well, that's disciple making right there. Isn't that cool? Oh, so fabulous. So excited about that. So, yeah. So, a few things, just a few announcements um, for you guys. First of all, forever free registrations are open. Remember our amazing, I know, yeah, some of the youth are in the house. They know. Uh, if you've got young people, I tell you what, you need to get them there. And of course, if you uh, would like to sponsor a, a um, uh, one of the youth as well. We'd appreciate that. Uh, you can jump on the website. Registrations are o- open for that. We're doing it early because it's obviously right after Christmas and there's a lot of demand on the finances. So we thought, let's just be a little more, bit more organised. We can spread it out uh, and, and get organised. So yeah, it's, it's life-changing, that camp. So uh, get, your, get your kids there. 
Awesome. The other thing is our sisterhood breakfast is coming up. Our sisterhood, yeah, 9.30 here on the 20th of August. I'm really excited about it. Letitia Shelton is coming to speak. I've heard her speak before. Penny and I actually went to a, a special evening and we were kind of jaw on the floor at what this, uh, what this woman, that's my granddaughter screaming over there. <laughs> Good on your lodge, training you to sit on the front row. I love it. <laughs> um, but uh, Letitia is just, she's just phenomenal, the work that she's doing. She, she's taken as a personal mission, she lives in Toowoomba, personal mission to see all pornography out of the city of Toowoomba. And uh, in fact, she has done um, a bunch of fundraising to deliver a book called How to Talk to Your Kids About Porn. Uh, f- to deliver it for free to every household in Toowoomba. Like she is, she is on a crusade to get rid of this. They minister to, you know, women in, in brothels. They minister to the young girls. They're, they're raising young girls uh, to have a, you know, a great mindset about, uh, you know, their future and, uh, you know, minister to domestic violence. Uh, just incredible. She's been to Fiji doing conferences. She's just all over the place. She's, it's incredible. And uh, I, I just feel like I, want, I wanted her to come. I said, I want you to come and just like tell your stories and all the things. And she's an author as well. She's written all this stuff about disruptive women. I'm like, just come and tell your stories and get us pumped. Get us a little bit agitated. You know, get us inspired about our frontier, you know, the frontiers that we have. Because we know, you know, we, we, we've been a church that's focused on our personal frontiers and you know COVID's knocked us around a bit it's time to get back to it you know and so come come and just really pump us up and she is so excited about coming then she's going to preach at Mountains Church um, on the Sunday which will be terrific Uh, and so I'm really looking forward to that please jump online and book your ticket and come Josh is catering for us it's going to be lovely and uh, and we're going to have a wonderful time together and it's just amazing that we are gathering again I just love that so great I think um, obviously uh, our parents' room is upstairs if you need to avail yourself of that. And, uh, and, and if you didn't know, our bathrooms are working downstairs. So just, yeah, I know we're still working around the whole floods and insurance and really pray because we've got a bit of a battle with the insurance company at the moment. And we need, we need, to, uh, we need to get a breakthrough on that and get, on, get a wriggle on. We want to get this place sorted out. Uh, Rick has um, redesigned the entire foyer and he's and the whole downstairs it's actually going to be really exciting and it's going to be quite flood friendly so you know what they're going to do is basically going to, you're going to be able to just hose it out and keep going instead of being like we are now so it's a good plan it's a plan for a long future if Jesus tarries and uh, <laughs> uh, but we need some finances to get it done so I'm excited about bringing the word today Uh, I've been doing a women's Bible study uh, this year, a weekly Bible study on a Wednesday morning at my house. Renee, she's she's there on the back row. She's part of my Bible study. Hi, honey. (laughs) Uh, And we've been just working through our working through our way through um, the women in the Bible. And uh, we got to we got to the story of Esther. And most of us know the story of Esther fairly well. Some of you might not. It's a great story. You should read it. It's not very long in the Bible. Uh, and, and Esther's full of inspiration, but it was actually Mordecai that really grabbed me this time. And I was sharing with Rick. I'm like, I just got this revelation about Mordecai and blah, 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 blah. And I'm just sharing it with him. And he goes, babe, you've got to preach that. I'm like, okay, I'll preach that. <laughs> so I've put together some thoughts and I'm tying it into our, you know, our theme of sort of get, like, get out of the corner and get off the ropes. And I've called this off the ropes and assume fighting position. Okay. All right. You got it? 
I don't really have a very good fighting position. Anyone know, actually know how to box? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, assume fighting position. So um, the background of the story of Esther is that the Jewish people had uh, some generations before been taken captive by uh, the Babylonians, by Nebuchadnezzar, and they were, you know, outside of their home country, living in exile in another country. And uh, we get to uh, the story of Esther, and in fact, the Persians had then defeated the Babylonians, and so they were living amongst uh, the Persians. And uh, and so uh, this is where this story is situated. Uh, and it's we're only about, I think, 30 or 40 years away from uh, uh, Nehemiah going back and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, and uh, and he actually took about fifty thousand uh, uh, with him to to go back and reestablish the city of Jerusalem. So this is this is kind of in, in a way like the generation before, uh, or, or that that very significant uh, return uh, to to the city of Jerusalem. So um, it's it's quite significant when you see the events of Esther. Um, play out because it really could have been the end of the Jewish people, just the end, and there would have been no further story. Uh, but of course, we know God's always had a plan for his people. So this is where we are in, in, in the history. And the, the king's looking for a new wife. He banished the old one. And uh, they round up all the pretty women in the city. And they round, round up Esther. And, uh, and Esther had been raised by her uncle Mordecai. And, and so there's, there's a few events that happen. It's a fascinating story. I'm not so much getting into the story of Esther as I wanted to highlight some things about Mordecai. So let's jump into chapter 3 uh, of Esther and let's read uh, the, these first few verses. So after these events, King Xerxes honoured Haman, son of the Agagite, Elevating him and giving him a seat of honour higher than that of all the other nobles. So Haman was a bit of a dude. He was kind of the right hand of the king and he had a lot of favour with the king. Uh, and all the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honour to Haman. So culturally, this is what we do. For the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honour. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behaviour would be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. In other words, he told them, hey, I'm a Jew. There's a reason I'm not bowing down. It's because, you know, according to my faith, my customs, my culture, we only bow down to one God. And it ain't you. <laughs> so when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honour, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. I mean, this man was so full of um, malicious spite. He, I mean, he didn't want to just take out Mordecai. He's like, right, I'm just going to go for the whole people. I'm just going to write them all off. I'm going to kill them all. And so we, we see this really interesting, uh, you know, things start to stir, interesting plot lines start to, to, start to stir. So it says, in the 12th year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, the pur, that is the lot, was cast in the presence of Haman. It's like a dice game to select a day and a month. And the lot fell on the 12th month, the month of Adar. So he's literally playing a bit of a gambling game to work out what day am I going to take out the Jews? Like, 
it really kind of how shallow and horrible is this person, is this human being. So then Haman said to King Xerxes, there is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. Wow, what a, what a plot. Now, the plot thickens and uh, I'm not even going to tell you how it all ends because you have to go and read it yourself. <laughs> but there are a few things in this that really struck me. Really struck me that Mordecai had no problem identifying himself as a Jew and of keeping to his customs and his traditions that the Jewish people in this time of exile had kept themselves separate. So they understood what it was like to live in a culture, in, a, in another culture, and maybe you know, learn the language and, and whatever. But there was a line that they drew that said, we're Jews, we just don't do that. Or we're Jews, we choose to live this way. And, and it really kind of inspired me as a Christian, uh, you know, this idea of, of having our distinctives known and not living invisibly, but actually living like knowingly separate to the rest of the world. Uh, and I, I think we can learn something of that. And I want to unpack that with us today. In fact, I got on um, the phone with my Jewish girlfriend and picked her brain. I said, I'm preaching tomorrow. And I, I just want to pick your brain about this. And we had this fed, fabulous talk about, uh, about how um, they've kept their distinctives. And I'm going to try and fold all that into a message to encourage us as the church, especially we're talking about the church leading the world in this generation of crisis. We want to lead the world. We've got to know who we are. Mordecai knew who he was and he wasn't apologizing for it, even at the risk of his own life. You know, and so I think that there's, there's something that's got to inspire us. We've got to get off the ropes. We've got to assume the fighting position, okay? And we've got to um, work all these distinctives out and really live them out as the church. It is time to not be afraid to be the church. Amen? Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Good. <laughs> and just to back this up, I've got some scriptures I want to read. First Peter chapter 2. Verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, strong nation, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're a chosen generation. That's, that's who we are. We do not belong to this world that we, that we currently live in. In fact, John 15, 19 says, if you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, <laughs> but I have chosen you out of the world and that is why the world hates you. All right, let's have an honest talk about this, guys. Who likes to be hated? Yeah. Okay, yeah, Pete, I, I'd actually give you that. You don't mind being hated, Pete. <laughs> But we love you. <laughs> but most, we don't want to be hated. And look, 
you may not be familiar with the history of, of church life and maybe you've only been saved recently in recent times and you haven't seen sort of what's happened in church life. But there's no doubt about it. In the last few decades, we have been trying really hard to be as relevant as possible to the world. Like we're not weird, honest, we promise. We're not weird. Like come, you know, you're welcome. Like... We just love everyone. Just come, like we, we're not gonna, we're not gonna freak you out. We're not gonna do anything weird. It's a bit different to when I was a kid, because in church when I was a kid, people were normally lying on the floor with demonic deliverance going on, shaking, and you know. And it's like at some point the leaders went, "I think we're getting a bit too weird. We need to be a bit more relevant." So we went on this journey, and inevitably, what happens is the pendulum swings. And it kind of swings a little too far. And, and I have been very concerned as we, you know, we're coming off the back of even, uh, you know, a couple of decades of a bit of a prosperity theology. You know, come to Jesus and your whole life's just going to be awesome. We ignore all the verses where it says you'll, you'll suffer and there'll be persecution and you're going to have trouble in the world. And, you know, like we ignore all that. sort. No, come to God. Come to Jesus. We, we just, we market him so beautifully. Come to him. Everything will be great. And we ignore the whole conversation where we actually have to really fight. We have to fight the enemy. We have to fight the world. You know, we have to fight temptation. We have to fight ourselves, our own thinking, our small thinking, our own unforgiveness, our bitterness. We've got to fight to find the best in Jesus. It's there, but it's on the other side of a little bit of resistance, you know. But now we've had this lovely little prosperity theology, you know, you just just come to God and everything will be great. You'll just be prosperous and you have favour on you. And all those things are true, but we just swung, you know, we swung the pendulum. Anyone been around long enough to see what I'm seeing, right? And so we've come so relevant and so, and, and I think of some of the issues that have come up, and uh, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say some hard things today. Are you okay? Got your seatbelts on. I'm gonna say some tough things because you know we we have worked so hard as the church not to offend anyone because we're now living in the most offendable generation ever on in the history of the earth, right? And so you know we don't want to offend anyone because we want everyone to know that Jesus loves you. Man, Jesus had no problem offending people. We don't even know that because we're not reading our Bibles. We just, they just point the finger, oh, the church is supposed to be a church of love. Actually, there's a lot of other things that happen in Scripture, if you bothered to look. You know? <laughs> so, you know, so I'm going to say some hard things. I, I want to I say this. Like, let's talk about abortion. Okay, so, so we go, of course, we're going to fight for the unborn child's life. We want to protect that beautiful baby and that baby's future made in the image of God. The Bible clearly tells us that God knows us while we're in the womb. So, yeah, we're going to fight. We don't, we're, we're against abortion. But then they go, oh, you hateful, hateful person. You just want women to die. No, we're actually trying to save a baby. No, the church is hateful. You just hate women. You hate women's rights. No, actually, we love them both. We we would walk, walk the journey with both. We just actually just don't think it solves anything to put murder on a mother's conscience. Oh, no, you're just, you're just hateful. We just shout your abortion up to 40 weeks. Or, in fact, we're going to even say if they're born alive and we don't want them, they can die then. Shout your abortion, you hateful church. Okay? So we go, 
No, oh no, oh, we don't want to misrepresent Jesus because he's got a love, you know. You know, we love the mothers. Like, we're not hateful, we're not hateful. Yes, you are, you're hateful. You just want women to die. Uh, and, and so what happens is the church goes, well, we, 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 no, we can't even have a nuanced conversation about this. And so we just get quiet. Oh, we, we don't want to ruffle any feathers. We don't want to, we don't want to hurt anyone because we, we're actually really for the mother too. We really believe in supporting the mum, you know, looking after her and as, as well as that baby and, you know, maybe help, helping her find a home for that baby if she can't raise Oh, no, that horrible things happen to these women and you've got no support for them. You don't love them at all. You're supposed to be the church. You're supposed to love them. Yeah, but we love the baby. <laughs> We love the baby too. We're going to fight for the baby. It's so vulnerable. It doesn't have a voice. It can't tell you how much it wants to live. You know? So, so we get quiet. We just get really quiet. And in fact, then, then what's happened is the younger generation, because we've been so quiet, go, oh, no, no, we, we want to love those women. So we, we actually are going to support abortion. We love Jesus, but we think he would have supported abortion. We think Jesus would, you know, march for abortion rights for women. That's where our young people are today. That's where they are. I think of all sorts of topics. You know, sex outside of marriage. Same-sex marriage. We're, we're so worried about offending people, we can't have a nuanced conversation about it. So the church has just gotten really quiet. We don't know what to stand for anymore because we don't want to offend anyone. And I want to suggest that Jesus really wasn't worried about offending anyone and he certainly wasn't worried about you being popular with the world he didn't die for a church that was constantly worried about its popularity stats all right this is one of the reasons why we know the government can't lead us because they're they're only interested in how they're polling they'll hide they'll hold to whatever ideals that seem the most popular how how is that leadership how can how can they lead us how can celebrities and influencers lead us when they're just trying to get as many likes as possible? They don't want the hates. But actually, the church is succeeding, shockingly, the more hates we get. You don't believe me? Matthew 10, 22. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who perseveres to the end will be saved. Is it getting hot in here? Can we kill that air conditioning, please? This is working. Hallelujah. We were freezing a few weeks ago. <laughs> okay. All right. So I've said some hard stuff. I could say some more, but I want us to understand, you know, we want to see people saved and we think that that means that we've just got to be all things to all men. But in fact, there should be a distinctiveness about us. And we are in a war whether we like it or not. Nuanced conversations are for a time of peace. We are not in a time of peace right now. We are in a war. And it's okay for the church to be hated. But we've got to stand up for what we believe in. Amen. Haman hated Mordecai because he wouldn't bow. And Mordecai, despite living in that culture, he was not going to have a bar of it. He knew who he was. He even said he didn't obey the king's law. I've got to tell you, after the last two years with COVID, and we started off going, well, you know, we want to support our government leaders, our public health leaders, do the right thing, everyone do the right thing and obey what they say. But they were telling us we couldn't meet, even as families. We couldn't have people in our home. 
We couldn't meet as a church. And now we're suffering terrible mental illness, terrible problems that are ongoing and will probably go on for years because of those decisions. And I, I just, I've, I've just got to say that at some point in the future, because we're living in a very postmodern world that is trying to rewrite or take out all the Judeo-Christian foundations of, in our country, that there will come a point where for the church to go on, we're going to have to second-guess some of those laws. Are you ready? Are you ready to be hated? Sorry, I'm, I'm, not a very, I'm not very good at being a comfortable Christian, am I? <laughs> you know, Mordecai's family tree was that his, it was his great-grandfather that was captured in that first, you know, with the Babylonians taking them captive. Uh, and so he's, you know, he's a few generations down. Uh, and so I think it's really incredible that, you know, handed down by his father was his values and his father handed down the, you know, to his, you know, the grandfather to the father, the great-grandfather to the grandfather. And, and we see this beautiful continuation of, of these distinctives that made them Jewish. And I think we've just got to get very serious right now in the time of history that we live in. We can't rely on the fact that we live in a Christian country because we don't. We can't rely on, you know, the broader community just providing these boundaries and these distinctives that make us Christian because they don't anymore. We don't live in the country we think we live in, (laughs) you know. It's not your grandmother's country anymore, right? So we're going to have to fight and we're going to have to work out how we pass the baton to the generations and what we're passing to them. And and I want to share some of that, so I'm going to keep moving. just want to just want to share this scripture in 1 Peter chapter 2.11. It says, Dear friends, your real home is not here on earth. You are strangers here. I ask you to keep away from all the sinful desires of the flesh. These things fight to get a hold of your soul. So come on, we're strangers. We're not supposed to be comfortable living in the world. It's supposed to feel alien to us and we're supposed to look alien to it. Are we ready for that? Are we ready? Okay. Because we can't be a church that leads if we're worried about what the world thinks of us, right? So there's a few things, uh, you know, as we think about being custodians of the gospel and as the church, you know, custodians of the truth, custodians of the ways of God, custodians of faith. You know, I'm, I'm sort of the, the custodian of our family tree. Uh, I've got all the family tree. I've got all the stories and, you know, who's, you know, how everyone's related. And in fact, I was having this conversation with Dave. And how many generations did I go back? Nine? I was fantastic. I was so proud of myself. I feel like the custodian of our family tree. Uh, and, you know, I'm doing it for my generations. They really don't care less. But I'm sure someone, one of their kids or, ki- you know, grandkids or whatever is going to want to know and I will have done the work. So I'm very proud of that. <laughs> but we are also custodians of something very significant. We're, we're custodians of this, of the kingdom of heaven and we are passing it from one generation to the next. And, and so we've got to take this really seriously. So as I, as I spoke to my girlfriend, Katie lovely Katie she's gorgeous and asked her about you know how this has all happened and um, I I sort of began to distill uh, a few points together so I've got five points and it's not a three-point sermon what is going on five points I'm just like breaking all the all the barriers today Um, and some of them are really practical, and I and I want to talk about how we've done them as a family, right? How we've how we've kept these things rich and, and going on, and we've just worked it out as we've gone. And uh, and so so the first thing is uh, how do you keep your cultural distinctiveness by predictable patterns? 
or rituals, predictable patterns. Uh, they're really important. Things like daily prayer. I just assume that every Christian family says grace when they sit down to eat. How many of you do that? Right. But I've been in lots of homes where it just doesn't happen. There's no even recognition of, you know, thanks Lord for this fantastic meal that you've given us and even the short grace that granddad does, you know, like he's, he's got it down to a few syllables and we love it, but it's acknowledging God. It, it acknowledges God at every mealtime. And um, in fact, we pay out on him when he adds a few extra sentences. <laughs> but, but this is actually really important. If you're not saying grace at home with your kids, please start saying grace. If you're not putting your kids to bed at night and praying for them, Please start doing that. Like, this is so important that we actually, you know, pray over our kids and that it becomes a normal part of, of our everyday life. And we shouldn't be embarrassed to do those things. No matter who's sitting around your table, do it. Uh, because this is one of the things that keeps our distinctiveness. We're a praying people. We're a praying people. We actually believe in this stuff. And it should be coming out in these everyday expressions the other thing is, uh, you know, she told me that they, you know, they light the candle and break the uh, bread and pour the wine. It's all part of the beginning of the Shabbat, the Sabbath. You know, Christians, we really ought, ought to be working a bit harder at having a Sabbath. We really do. Hey, it benefits you. <laughs> no end. The idea of turning off the outside world and turning to your family and having a day of rest together. We need to do that. You know, and I know we don't want to get religious about this stuff, but this is actually life-giving. Like, get all your work done, you know, the night before so that you're doing nothing, <laughs> whether it's a Saturday or a Sunday or whatever day it is, and, you know, have the family over and eat together and laugh together and talk together and relate together and do it generationally and have the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles do that. And But... But rest, rest and, in, and engage with one another. This is really important. This predictable pattern is really important. This ritual is really important. And so, of course, we know uh, uh, that um, that's the Shabbat is something that uh, the Jewish people do. It's very distinctive to them. It actually should be part of our expression as well. We do other things like, uh, obviously, greatest predictable pattern, come to church. <laughs> like, seriously. I can't believe I have to say that in today's day and age, but it's actually, you know, uh, it was just never optional for us. Now it's like, oh, if I'm a bit tired or I've had a rough week, oh, look, I'll give it a miss this week. No, make it in stone, unless, of course, you're sick, but put it in stone and say, we go to church every week. <laughs> because it's those, it's those things that it's layer upon layer, precept upon precept, line upon line that builds something in us, in our faith and you know, in our encouragement. You know, uh, st statistically, your marriage will last better than anyone who doesn't come to church every week. Much higher rates of marriage success in people that attend church every week. Not once or once, you know, Easter and Christian, Easter and Christmas Christians. I'm not talking about, you know, once or twice a year. Every week. And even your marriage will be better. How good is that? So predictable patterns are really important. These rituals are really important. We do things like we have a weekly family dinner. It's just our family, just our kids, our grandkids. 
it's a safe space, free to talk, share, laugh, whatever, but it's a safe space, just our family. But we also have another day where we've got an open house and anyone can come. You Come on over, everyone. Just bring something with you. <laughs> I'm good at cooking for a lot of people, but yeah, not everyone. Um, but we do that. We've got these predictable patterns. Everyone knows Sunday lunch, open house at our house. Like it, this, is, this is just what happens. So that's really important for our Christian distinctive. We need to have those things literally in the diary, in the diary, predictable patterns. The second thing is traditions and celebrations. Uh, you know, Katie was telling me how, how important it's been, especially since the Holocaust, that the Jewish community come together and they really go hard on their celebrations. All the feasts, you know, they tell the history, they sing the history, they do all of this. They really say, always around food. Come on, who doesn't love a culture that does things around food? Um, you know, the, the Bible talks a lot about hospitality. You know, it's, we're supposed to be a hospitable people. We should be the most hospitable people on the planet. As Christians, that should be a distinctive of ours, uh, that, we, that we're good at that stuff. Well, we can open our home, we can be generous with that stuff, that we, we can celebrate together. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think of how much uh, doing things like Passover has uh, affected us, our family. You know, when I started doing Passover with my kids, everyone thought we were weird in the church. And, you know, we were trying to be cool youth pastors, like, you know, with the tight jeans and black T-shirt, you know, the holes in the jeans. We're trying to be cool youth pastors, but kind of got this idea that we should do Passover. And th- th- honestly, we got teased about it. Now, how many people, how many people do Passover now? So, give me a wave if you do Passover. Yeah. How good is it? It's fantastic. If you, don't, if you don't get together with your family and do Passover, you should do it because it's just like a Christian Passover. I'm not talking about the full, uh, I mean, I've done a Jewish Passover. It was very fascinating, but I'm talking about through the lens of what Jesus has done. It's just amazing. Okay, so, so you know, Passover, Easter, really important things, traditions, celebrations. Okay, let me, let me just have a hard conversation about this. What do your kids think of Easter weekend? Is it the weekend? where you all go on a camping holiday? Nothing wrong with that. Or is it the weekend where they know they've been to the service that acknowledges Jesus' death? They've probably had a quiet Saturday while we sit in reflection of what Jesus has done for us. And then Sunday we celebrate hard that he rose. Or is it just we go camping? You know why it's a public holiday in this country? Because we used to have a Judeo-Christian outlook on life. That's why it's a public holiday. So do we do we do it for our DIYs and our and our camping trips, or are we actually acknowledging Jesus and what He's done? Are we going to keep our distinctive? Are we going to pass it on to our kids? What are we passing on to our kids? That we have great family holidays camping, or that we acknowledge what Jesus has done? Nothing wrong with holidays. I'm a big fan, big fan of holidays. But do you know what I mean? Like oh, we've got to grab a hold with both hands our Christian disti- our distinctiveness. And we've got to make sure we're passing it from generation to generation. And of course, Christmas goes without saying. Another public holiday. I wonder why. Yeah, because we're actually a Judeo-Christian nation. We were. That's why it's a public holiday. We've got to fight to carve these things out. Not use them as an opportunity to do other things, but actually fight to carve them out as our distinctiveness as believers, as the church Another thing that was interesting when I was talking to Katie is just how much they've kept their language alive. 
You know, the kids have Hebrew lessons. They, they learn to speak in the original text. Now, I'm not going to suggest we all sit, sit around and have Hebrew and Greek lessons. I'm sure that would be fascinating. I'm sure lots would, would, would enjoy that. Um, but I was thinking of a parallel for us as the church when, you, when you're thinking about language. And, you know, I, I was thinking, um, I went to Penrith Church uh, last week. And we're, we're doing an experiment over there. And we might start doing something like this over here too. But we're actually doing a kid-centric service with adults involved rather than the other way around. It's a bit of an experiment. We've got a lot of kids at that church. So we're a bit of an experiment. It's fantastic. And part of it is that we're getting them to do scripture memory. And Jesse's set up this really cool vault with a prize in it. And if you, if you remember your memory verse, you get to have a go at punching in a code and see if you can open the, crack the vault. It's really cool. And, uh, and so, and I'm thinking, I wonder how this is going. Because I haven't, this is my first service back at Penrith for ages. And I wonder whether these kids are actually, you know, remembering any of these scriptures. And, and, uh, and so, you know, it came time. Sammy taught the, taught the current memory verse and, you know, walked it through. And all the adults is dutifully saying the memory verse too. So it's good for the adults, I'm telling you. And, uh, and, and so it, then it was time to, okay, so do you remember last week's? And so Sammy goes down to the kids on the sitting on the, on the floor in the front. And I'm thinking, oh, moment of truth. This great experiment we're doing. Will they know these scriptures? I could not believe it. They're rattling off these enormous scriptures from memory. And then they get their little ticket that gives them a, a shot at the vault later in the service. They're just rattling up this little, this little, out of the mouth of babes, they're speaking the word of God from memory. I'm like, wow, wow. And this is where I think language, in terms of giving our kids spiritual vocabulary and Bible vocabulary, is so important. We've got to, we've got to do that. And not just that, not just that, we've got to keep our tongues alive as Pentecostals. Because we stopped being weird, right? So that everyone would like us. We've got to speak in tongues around our home and in the car. Our kids have got to be used to hearing it. There's a language of the Spirit we should not be ashamed of. We should be singing it, shouting it, speaking it over our kids. And it should be normal. We've got to pass this on. It's, it should just be normal. We don't mind being weird. We're supposed to be hated, right? <laughs> and we should, have, we should have spiritual conversations in our home. And I know that's weird for some of us because we weren't raised with it. It's How do you talk about the things of God, what God's been saying to me lately? Or, you know, maybe my child comes with a problem from school and, you know, maybe I just have a go and say, well, maybe God's got you there for a reason, you know. Maybe there's something he wants you to say or do in that. Have a spiritual conversation with your kids. And if, if it's weird to you, just start somewhere. You've got to break the cycle. We've got to, ha we've got to give our kids spiritual vocabulary. They've got to know how to talk easily about the things of God. This is, this is what gives us a distinctive the world doesn't know how to talk about spiritual things. We do. We do. Let's pass it on. Amen? Okay, number four. Right. I'm stepping off the three points into the fourth one. Are you ready? <laughs> Knowledge. Knowledge. <clears throat> you know, um, Katie was telling me that uh, the Jewish National Fund actually pays for 
any educator to come to Israel for free and they give them this incredible tour around Israel and just exploring the history, talking about the history, just immersing them in a total cultural experience of Israel so that they can take that back, take the spirit of that back uh, into their schools and teach uh, you know, the Jewish kids uh, these, these distinctives about what it means to be Jewish. How fabulous is that? So cool. She, and she did it. And she's like amazing, amazing experience. Um, and, you know, these, these Hebrew schools, they, gosh, they devote themselves to their Jewish studies. They, they, they'll just give whole days over to their feasts and celebrations, all their significant events. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I was, thinking, I was thinking about how important it is to pass on knowledge. The church today has actually got pretty shallow understanding of the Bible um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt trip you, but the truth is we don't know what we should know. There's a lot of knowledge about, you know, about Scripture and about the church and how it's, you know, how it's, uh, you know, travelled and grown throughout the centuries. Uh, we just don't know. And, you know, I know for us, you know, when we're preaching, we're really trying to unpack that for you guys as best we can. And gosh, we have never had so much information available at our fingertips you know, like just so much great teaching and great theology and incredible things to know. We've got to pass that knowledge on. We, we've really got to work out how we do, how, how we do that. And I, I just want to encourage us, uh, you know, to, to tell those stories to our kids. Often we send our kids off to a Christian school and we think they're going to do it. I'm sorry, but Christian schools are not doing that for your child. If you want them to know their faith, you've got to teach them. And we, we're doing our best here. You know, I know, I know for Elijah and, you know, for, for him with the kids, like he is, he is so biblically literate. And uh, it's, he's so passionate about getting our kids literate. But listen, don't leave it to us. We're going to help you. We want to help you and walk beside you. Do it in your homes. Do it with your grandchildren. Tell the stories. Keep telling the stories and why they matter today. Keep doing it. So that's, that's it on knowledge. And the last thing I want to say is faith. Katie was say, saying to me that Mariah College uh, has really taken it on um, that they are preserving the Jewish faith. And uh, they, they see themselves as the heart of the community and their board will regularly meet, uh, lit, literally just trying to address any diluting of the faith. <laughs> I love that, you know. So they're, they're making sure, they, they recognise, look, unfortunately it is true that kind of the schools have become the heart of, of the community. That's a problem. It's a cancerous heart right now. Do we get this? <laughs> what our kids are being taught in schools. It's a cancerous heart. It's a diseased heart that's going on. If the school is the heart of the community. I'd like to think the church is the heart of the community. It needs to be. Because <laughs> we, we have, you know, the healing of Jesus and... You know, the, the washing of Jesus and the freedom of Jesus for our hearts. But, but Mariah, I, I love that Mariah ha College has, um, has made this commitment that they're going to keep the north on the compass. We're going to keep the community pointing in the right direction. Man, we've got to think like that, guys. We've got to think like that. We've always got to be thinking like that for, the, for our young people. I, I'm, I'm so spent up. We have one of the, I'm telling you now, we've been around, Okay. We have one of the healthiest youth ministries in Australia right now. They haven't shied back from going deep on their theology and going, going there in hard places. And it is, it is phenomenal. Friday night, 
It's the place to be. It is phenomenal what's happening right now. Get your kids to youth if they're not coming. Bring them. Like, come. It is, it is wonderful. It is so, it is so healthy. And, and I think we, as the church, we have to really take it on ourselves to keep the north on the compass and not dilute what we believe so that we liked more or we're popular. Because according to the scripture, the world's supposed to hate us. That might be a revelation for some of you today. It's in your face, isn't it? The world's supposed to ha- Oh, no, I thought we were supposed to be liked by everyone. And that, that way more people will come to church. Yeah, it's not working. It's not working. We've got to keep our distinctive. We've got to go hard, right? We're assuming fighting position. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? Can I ask the musos to come to the stage? We're going to sing. I reckon, can we sing that last song that we, the last song? Not the tag, but the, yeah. <laughs> I'm really bad with song names. I'm just like, sack me now. (laughs) Okay. All right. I'm going to finish up our thoughts. We can't be tokenistic about our faith anymore, guys, because we don't live in a community that will make up the difference. We don't. We're not living in a country that's going to make up the... it's, It's flying in the face of what we believe. We've got to stop apologizing for what we believe. We've got to stop getting lost in the weeds of nuanced conversations. We just need to make a stand. And let them hate us. Let them call you a bigot. Let them call you hateful. Let them call you a racist. Apparently everyone's a racist. Like just let them, let them call you that. We have to live to please God. He's first. We live to please Him. And that is going to keep our distinctiveness as the church alive and well. Because I, I, I think it's good to be known that we're separate. Mordecai was separate. His people were separate. And God was with them. And no harm came to them. We've got to get brave, assume the fighting position, be ready to fight and stop being ashamed of what we believe. Romans chapter 1 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. You want to assume fighting position? Why don't you stand to your feet? Oh, hallelujah. I hope some of those practical things have helped you um, start a conversation in your families about how you can enrich this, strengthen it, reinforce it. Live it out. And look, have, have the difficult conversations about the fact that the world's going to hate us. Have those conversations. It's hard for our young people. My age, I don't care. There's hope for you, young people. I used to care. Because I just want to please Him. I want to please Him. I want to live a life worthy of the sacrifice. Worthy of the sacrifice. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for all that You have done for us. We want to look you in the eye and say, 
we've lived a life worthy of you. Help us to do that. Help us in our weakness, in our humanity. Help us to rise to that. Help us to grow marriages and families and communities that demonstrate that, that have some toughness and some backbone to it. Have some resolve, God, that we're standing for the things of God and the ways of God because they lead us into truth and freedom and righteousness and eternity. Help us to live like that, Lord God, that we can honestly look you in the eyes and say, I'm living worthy of what you're doing. So strengthen us, Lord Jesus. Strengthen us, Lord God. Help us to be brave in this moment. Help us to assume the fighting position. Help us to be ready to fight the weapons of the enemy. Help us to fight the world and the world systems that are so strong, so powerful. Help us to fight temptation, Lord God, I pray. Help us to fight through the trials, through the, you know, through the persecutions, Lord God, through suffering. Help us to fight through there, to continue to lift up the name of Jesus and to, and to stand as the ones who belong to Jesus, the chosen people, a holy nation, a priesthood, Lord God. Help us to be that for You, Lord God so that the church can lead in this hour and hopefully lead into the return of Jesus. A minister to every one of us, I pray today. Make us different today. Make us different. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's, let's sing this song together and Susan can close the meeting. <laughs>